0: This is Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for a changing Virginia. I'm Arian Ballou. Well, it's October, and it's been a beautiful, comfortable one at that. Just a few hours ago, and this is genuinely true, in a breezy, 70-degree Charlottesville afternoon, I sat on the beautiful steps of the Rotunda at the University of Virginia and just sort of gazed out over the lawn, over the buildings, over Mr. Jefferson's academical village, really just basking in peace and beauty for a solid hour. I also started wondering what happened to the cold, dry, windy Octobers that I grew up with. The answer, of course, is climate change. And while these gorgeous October days are a silver lining in this massive, world-ending, ongoing catastrophe, there are a lot of other consequences that aren't so pleasant we just had the hottest september on record norfolk virginia is at massive risk of flooding as sea levels continue to rise unpredictable hurricanes and other strange weather fewer bugs more drought general poverty food insecurity instability all around i could go on but i think we get the gist but hey it was a really nice friday Ultimately, though, the question becomes what we can really do about climate change. And back in 2020, Virginia's lawmakers made some serious moves on that front. We officially entered the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, or REGI, a program that was meant to reduce carbon emissions. That year, Governor Northam also signed the Virginia Clean Economy Act, which mandated energy efficiency standards and set renewable energy goals for the coming decades. And while governor yunkin is starting to pull us out of reggie and well he isn't exactly a champion of climate issues we're still making progress bit by painful bit but that's at the state level what's going on when it comes to local climate policy housing transportation energy use for cities and counties all of that is tied in to climate change to energy use to carbon emissions so what are localities doing to help their communities withstand the troubles that are to come and the ones that are already here to answer that question i talked to bill egger he's chief climate policy officer for arlington county and former energy manager for the city of alexandria he leads arlington's office of climate coordination and policy that's a relatively recent group and the mission is quote to amplify coordinate and add capacity to the county's ongoing responses to the climate crisis so i asked bill what exactly he's doing in that role
1: I am, uh, as of current, working in kind of four different areas to support this kind of broader leadership on behalf of the county. First of which is what we call whole of government, uh, extending our whole of government approach to our climate policy and climate action work, working across our uh, various agencies. One, to coordinate, we have climate goals that are clearly stated within the Arlington County's community energy plan and working across all of our departments to say, this is, we have these priorities, these goals, how does this reflect your day-to-day work and your work plans, as well as your broader uh, goals and priorities to deliver your services? For example, if it's within our public works department who provides services of, you know, uh, water and sewer or roadway maintenance, working with that department to then understand and provide relationship to our goals and how then we can introduce that into their day-to-day work. You know, on the other end of that spectrum, health and human services, how do climate outcomes reflect those who are most disadvantaged within our community? So, for example, as we think about those who are either unhoused or are low and moderate income, how our climate policies uh, that which may include you know, introducing greater energy efficiency that has impacts to indoor environmental quality or quality of housing, as well as producing or allowing for kind of lower energy costs and lower energy burden. That's another way we think about working with that department to say, this is how you relate back to our broader climate goals. And finally, you know, another example might be within our public safety or emergency management departments. Think about where climate change has impact, particularly in the context of a warmer, weirder, wetter world. Where, you know, as we find ourselves subject to extreme heat, greater intensity of storms, and frankly, even this year, poor air quality coming by way of wildfires, how do our emergency management professionals think about climate change as a potential aspect of their job for their kind of day-to-day provision of safety and security to our broader community so that we maintain a quality of life, a healthy and wealthy uh, community?
0: So climate change and climate policy seems to kind of touch everything. You mentioned housing, transportation, public safety. So let's drill down and get specific. Arlington has been in the news lately with some controversy over zoning for the missing middle. That's housing that's somewhere between the high-density apartments and single-family houses. So where do climate outcomes and climate change fit into that picture?
1: Yeah, great question. So yes, earlier this year, Arlington County uh, passed uh, zoning amendments that allow for what we call enhanced housing options colloquially known as missing middle or in other words uh, infill housing development in areas like Arlington or our peer jurisdictions Northern Virginia or other urban areas housing is becoming that much more scarce and unfortunately you know in an area like Northern Virginia and particularly Arlington that's 26. you know two square miles uh, with no ability to expand The only means by which we can think about creating more affordable housing is by way of utilizing the land we do have. And so uh, where that does exist is in kind of open uh, infill areas. From a climate perspective, we have to think about this in, I would say, two different ways. First of which is in a much more global perspective. On the global perspective, smaller housing more compact, more energy efficient, and more dense in nature, ultimately producing better outcomes when it comes to greenhouse gas emission. Again, that compactness and greater efficiency per unit of land area becomes that much more beneficial, kind of in a global nature. On the other side, and what becomes, though, more challenging is when we think about climate adaptation. That is, as we have a changing climate, what are the strategies that we need to think about in order to minimize the impacts of extreme heat or that of stormwater, incidents of stormwater and extreme storms? And unfortunately, greater, more compact developments mitigates the ability to, for example, utilize uh nature-based solutions like trees or other open land area or to minimize some of these impacts and so we have to find the balance that actually exists between these two
0: so that kind of brings up i mean you can't single-handedly make any of the changes that you're talking about with with the stroke of your pen so i i won't make you badmouth anybody but what are some of the hurdles that are standing in your way to make these things happen
1: Yeah. So my role in some ways is to serve as a subject matter expert within the broader context of climate change, energy and sustainability policy, and do so in the context also as a change agent across an organization and across a community. In order to be a change agent in this way, you know, more broadly, no matter the topic, is to leverage your ability to have influence and to bring together and collaborate with other entities and stakeholders to amplify the message, first convince and then amplify the message. So that, again, we I've noted starting with our county organization, working across our various agencies to do that by building climate change values into work plans and day-to-day processes and delivery of service. But we'd also think about this from the context of working with our community stakeholders and partners, be it one, our development community, in context of uh, housing developments or new construction, generally speaking, utilizing kind of the, the uh, certain uh, tools that we have within our development process to think about how green building can be a value not only to our community members but also have a financial value to those of our development community who are building new buildings, and so. We utilize, again, like a tool, for example, like green building policy, a little bit of a stick, but also provide carrot for developers to realize financial value and incentive to help support our broader climate goals. It's also working across many of our university and private enterprise partners, too. For example, in Arlington, we have seven uh, universities represented, everything from George Mason University, George Washington, uh, Northeastern, Darden School of Business, Marymount, and others. All of these institutions have climate and sustainability goals onto themselves. It's now finding where we align and within their own operations and their own delivery of academic excellence here in the community, leveraging their administrative and their organizational values and climate sustainability, as well as leveraging the students and the professors and the research to come out to bring that value to be it housing, be it buildings, be it transportation, et cetera. Finally, in a similar way, with our business community, is you know we have the presence of Amazon and and Boeing and Deloitte and Nestle amongst many many other smaller businesses. But all of these organizations have climate and sustainability goals onto themselves, not only for. Kind of value of their business model, but also to mitigate their risks uh, that associate with their delivery of their own services, right? And so we find that there's opportunity to bring all of those values in alignment to support housing, transportation, ultimately, which their employees, the the people that they you know have in their ranks, in order to to deliver their value to our communities. Have residents here working together not only supports their business outcomes but also supports their employees and their own kind of day to day So We see there's a lot of synergies for how that comes together. The barriers, you know, that's all the opportunity side. You know, the barriers are that we have no direct control. You know, we we don't, as you noted, don't have a strike of the pen to actually effectuate change, and so it does come with the ability to find and co-create the opportunities between each one of these individual institutions and then do so also collectively. And that does not happen overnight. And it doesn't happen without exploration of where there's alignment. And the barriers really are that we don't have much time when it comes to mitigating and and addressing our climate challenges. Uh, But these processes do take time, do take long and arduous effort in order to find those opportunities and then to actually implement over time, so I think those are some of the more critical barriers at a local level. At the level of our engagement with the Commonwealth, you know, certainly our political system uh, and just larger disagreements uh, amongst various layers of our state and federal government definitely preclude progress. Um, we as localities are subject to statute at the state level and and really the the kind of the, the approach to how. Our legislators, our general assembly see the role of cities and counties within the Commonwealth and often precluded from doing what we would otherwise see as progressive or uh, forward-thinking approaches to climate policy or housing, transportation, you know, energy regulation, et cetera. We are often hitting barriers, kind of again, with the political ideology that and disagreement that may exist within our General Assembly or within administrative agencies at the state or federal level that would uh, kind of mitigate our our thinking about how we would approach some of these challenges. Again, be it transportation or how we approach uh, kind of managing energy use or greenhouse gas emissions from our building stock with the existing or future buildings, um, or even frankly How we support our school districts, right? Our many of our agents, uh, many of our local governments are partners with our school districts, helping support investment in their buildings in order to produce greater energy efficiency, ultimately which is ultimately cost savings and greater uh, learning environments for our our students. That is often limited to a certain extent by way of kind of our engagement with state agencies and state political uh, bodies.
0: Bill Egger is the Chief Climate Policy Officer for Arlington County. You're listening to Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for a changing Virginia. Visit us online at bolddominion.org. You can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are served up. Go ahead and subscribe, and uh, leave us a nice review while you're there. Bold Dominion is a member of the Virginia Audio Collective, online at virginiaaudio.org. You can check out all the podcasts from The Collective. From science to history to music to community affairs, we amplify the voices of people in our community and help them tell stories that matter. You can listen and subscribe at virginiaaudio.org. And we're back with Bill Egger, Chief Climate Policy Officer for Arlington County. When I talked to Bill, it seemed like housing, transportation, and energy were three of the biggest areas where localities really needed to think about climate change as part of their policy decisions. We've talked about housing, so now we turn to transportation and how the Office of Climate Coordination and Policy gets involved.
1: Arlington County has a long history of transit-oriented development. In other words, uh, locating majority of our commercial and or high density housing around our transportation systems. In our case, uh, we are fortunate to have access a uh, principal access to the uh, Washington areas metro system our subway um, that defines really our our corridors for which there is majority ha- uh, high density commercial and housing uh, development. And so when we think about transportation, we really think about first getting people out of single occupancy vehicle cars or really reducing the amount of driving that uh, individuals do unto themselves since the advent of the motor vehicle, which is just to say that uh, over the course of the past 120 some years, many of our cities have been oriented around a vehicular oriented system. And this is not to say that's bad. The vehicles have a place in part, Play for individuals, but does impact when it comes to a climate perspective of uh, contributing emissions to uh, by way of tailpipe uh, consumption of fossil fuels for tailpipe emissions that have impact on our on our environment. It's all said that Arlington has principally oriented itself around um, trying to get as many people out of vehicles in as much of the time as possible. So, not only do we have the The metro uh, subway system, but we also have a really robust bus network that makes up, I would say, something on the order of 40 to 50 percent of vehicle miles traveled within our community. In other words, people are utilizing our buses and we have two, the WMATA bus uh, network, as well as the uh, supplementary bus service that, that Arlington County offers. Uh, right now, it is powered largely by compressed natural gas, but we're in the process of uh, introducing battery electric bus and also in, in two years, we'll be introducing fuel cell hydrogen buses as well to not only, one, provide basically clean um, transportation system such that it's not burning fossil fuel, but also do so without reducing reliability. And then finally, you know, I would say that we... Also, prioritize uh, in kind of this hierarchy of utilizing public transportation or alternative transportation systems as opposed to single occupancy vehicles, you know, really bikes, bicycling, pedestrian, and other micromobility mobility opportunities. So, be it uh, expanding our bike network, allowing for safe walking and pedestrian access to amenities. And then also supporting uh, broader micromobility options, including scooters and e-bikes and and, uh, even uh, small kind of circulators that exist to help get people from point A to point B. We think a lot about how land use and transportation are paired when it comes to parking. For example, uh, we have a significant amount of parking that goes underutilized but does take up land. And in insofar as considering ways to reduce our parking, but still uh, allow for some motor vehicle traffic, cars, but then principally trying to manage the amount of parking we have in context of public transportation. In other words, creating an incentive by way of re- creating parking scarcity to then incentivize greater use of our public transportation systems as a more convenient option in, in the alternative and so these are a variety of different uh, ways that we think about transportation. Not comprehensive, I should say, or exhaustive, um, but those are. I think the bottom line is, from Arlington's perspective, it's to mitigate the amount of people who are utilizing their vehicle as their principal mode of transportation for most of their miles traveled. It's not to say that we eliminate vehicles. We we offer that parking etc as a means to use your vehicle should you need it but that's not your first we don't hope that's not your first choice
0: I want to turn now to energy regulation obviously on the state level this year there's been a lot of uh, the stuff with the SEC and Dominion energy and the wind farm offshore that's getting built how have those sort of state level changes affected the work that you do on a local level
1: yeah so much of the Commonwealth's perspective and policy consideration around energy regulation does have significant impact on Arlington and and, and individual jurisdictions throughout Virginia. Here's a, a couple different ways of that, but not exhaustive ways that that this has impact. We do take into consideration, for example, investments in the offshore wind developments off the coast of of Virginia Beach area and the Hampton Roads, broader Hampton Roads area. That's important to us as a county because we have goals around minimizing the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that we ultimately as a county are attributing to to our environment. As our grid becomes cleaner by supporting technologies like offshore wind or solar or even battery storage to a certain extent in kind of a combination with wind and solar, those all help reduce the greenhouse gas emissions that are associated with our our broader electricity grid. And so we are very, very astute to uh, kind of those developments and the regulation that takes place to support for, uh, incentivizing and expanding these clean energy generation technologies like wind and solar. It's also to say that you know Arlington is a, a strong uh, participator to helping clean our grid. For example, earlier this year, we in partnership with Dominion Energy and Amazon turned on, 120 kil or megawatts a solar energy farm down in southwestern Virginia that supports our county operations electricity use. So, for example, every uh, kilowatt hour that's generated by this solar farm down in Danville area is directly supporting our county operations electricity use from our buildings and our transportation systems. And so we are kind of really, really involved uh, at the state level in thinking about broader cleaning of our electricity grid and what that means for our county organization, but also more broadly for our community as a whole and their use of clean energy into the future.
0: I'm guessing this is also tied to Virginia's proposed exit from Reggie, the uh, Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. What impact would Virginia pulling out have on your sort of energy policy decisions?
1: Yeah, so... Uh, we, we as Arlington are looking very closely at how Virginia proceeds to exit from Reggie, or if it, if it does, but it's just to say in 2020, the Virginia General Assembly passed the Clean Energy and Community Flood Preparedness Act, which is the statute which uh, brought Virginia to participate in the regional greenhouse gas initiative. The regional greenhouse gas emission, Reggie for short, introduces a cap and trade system. Cap and trade system being uh, where the amount of emissions from Virginia power plants are capped at a certain level. Those power plants that exceed the amount of emissions that um, are capped can purchase uh, kind of offsets in order to minimize their contribution and to kind of offer compliance with the statute's requirements for the amount of emissions that are capped. The revenue from that uh, program and those auctions of offsets are then returned back to the Commonwealth for use in two particular ways, one of which is for flood prevention and stormwater management, and the second being to support energy efficiency for our low and moderate income housing stock. Without Regie and without the ability to generate those revenues, the state does not have any alternative programs to support localities and their investment in stormwater management to minimize the impact of increasing precipitation within our communities and the damage that will ultimately come with that, as well as uh, inevitable increase in uh, sea level rise along our coast, which have damaging effects to much of our economy along uh, Virginia's coastal lines. On the other side, there's no alternative programs to invest in energy efficiency and weatherization for our low and moderate incomes, and so without the the contributions of Reggie, when it comes to kind of financial resources available to localities, we are left having to really either do nothing in managing and mitigating the effects of stormwater and increased precipitation, and as well as supporting the quality of housing that that is necessary to support our low and moderate income communities uh, and persons across our communities. And so we see this, at least financially, as a starting point, a pretty significant implication for localities' ability to respond to the needs of our communities uh, when it comes to a changing climate and with the needs to support kind of a changing agri- energy regulatory environment. On the other side is that we have seen tremendous progress by way of uh, Reggie's ability to minimize the greenhouse gas emissions that come from our our energy resource or energy sources, uh, particularly coal and natural gas generation that, that supports much of the, the Virginia electricity uh, generation system. And so... Uh, We've seen just in two years, roughly a 16% drop in the greenhouse gas emissions that are generated from our electricity system. And that is uh, fairly significant and really marks great progress for uh, cleaning up our broader energy systems that exist throughout uh, throughout the uh, county, which ultimately is a driver, the driver for a changing climate. And so we see this as both number one, again, supporting our localities and their ability to serve their communities in these uh, really critical areas of focus against stormwater management and with increased, you know, the prospect and the the inevitability of increased precipitation and intense storms, as well as supporting kind of the financial and health and well being of many of our low and moderate income communities. And then on the other side, more, more kind of long term, is that. Uh, we see no alternative in order to support reducing the greenhouse gas emissions from our, our electricity generation, um, again, the the principal source of a changing climate. And so we see it as a really critical climate policy instrument should be as a Virginia exit later at the end of this year, end of 2023. We as a uh, locality would find fairly significant challenge with meeting many of our climate outcome goals, as well as responding to uh, climate change into the future.
0: I want to wrap up here. Um, uh, you just mentioned some of the longer term, you know, forecasts and precipitation, stormwater issues. Kind of put into perspective for me, you know, like wh- what are we doing here, right? Like, <laughs> what's at stake on the time scale of you know five, ten, twenty, fifty years? What happens if if we don't do anything? What happens if we do manage to put in these changes? Uh, What are we fighting for here?
1: Bottom line is that absent any action, inevitably the consequences of a warmer, wetter, and what we call a weirder world, that which is more erratic and uh, kind of uncertain, will be inevitable. We have seen over the course just as the past several years, and and this year being kind of a, a... Significant marker, you know, uh, uh, trends in across the United States and the world of elongated periods of extreme heat that will only become that much more consequential into the future. I don't see, at least in the in the short term, a trend of uh, getting cooler. Uh, I think it will only only increase uh, globally our temperatures and here in the region to become that much more warmer. It's also to say that we have seen extraordinary impacts of uh, intense and more frequent storms over the course of the past several months. And that's a trend that's been growing for now decades. And the scientific community globally is in agreement and that much more uh, pointed in saying that if we don't stop the trend of increasing the greenhouse gas emission concentrations in our atmosphere, and then all of the other kind of uh, natural systems that associate with, with that water cycle and, our oceans and and our biodiversity, all of this has the impacts of uh, kind of really uh, being that much more extreme, more extreme heat, more extreme precipitation, and more erratic and extreme other uh, kind of natural disasters that, that will have impact on our communities. All with that being the result of impacting the quality of life and the health and well-being of individuals within our community and so what is at stake in the next five to ten years absent any action is that these intent these uh kind of trends will only become that much more intense become that much more consequential and without investment focused in uh, kind of the source of the problem being that of greenhouse gas emissions, or responding to the inevitabilities of what will ultimately happen in investments and adapting and becoming that much more resilient, we will have uh, kind of really the stake of uh, what is at stake is that individuals and our communities will be subject to kind of extremes that may or may not uh, have impact on how again our quality of life or our health and well-being.
0: Bill Egger is the Chief Climate Policy Officer for Arlington County. My name is Arian Balu, and I'm the host of Bold Dominion. Find us online at bolddominion.org. And uh, don't forget to subscribe, it's just a click away.